and welcome to episode number two of Third Degree, the podcast. It has survived to live yet another edition. Um, We are now officially on a new platform, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. My name is Peter. I'm co-editor of thirddegree.net and co-host of the Kick Around on the Tickets. We have a panel today, as they call it. Uh, headed up by none other than the founder of Third Degree and the definitive resource for anything you'd ever possibly want to know about all things FC Dallas, Buzz Carrick. Buzz, you've been busy? Yeah, I've been busy trying to get this thing put together. This is a new undertaking, and obviously the Hall of Fame was a busy weekend too, so lots going on. And also joining us for the first time, we have three people on the show and it makes the podcast legitimate because he's a Brit, Dan Crook. Hello, thanks Dan. for allowing me to uh, to enter the country again. <laughs> we want your thickest British accent for this. The more the thicker it is, the more legitimate soccer podcast we are. I'm not sure I can manage that. Every time, any time I go back, people are like you've got a little Texas twang going on there. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So uh, first announcement, Buzz, we uh, appreciate everybody surviving the YouTube test. We are now officially with episode number two on a proper potting platform. Yeah, we decided to go ahead and give it a try because there were some people that obviously were interested in having the officially downloadable podcast that just like anyone else would have so they could listen in their car or whatever. We will continue to put them on YouTube. So if you like the YouTube version, that'll also be available. So we're going to try multiple platforms and see how it goes. So the, the platform we picked allows us to submit it to iTunes, Spotify, Slacker, all that stuff, right? That's what it's supposed to be able to do. Obviously, being a complete noob at this, it may take me a few button strokes to figure all that out. But uh, yes, it should all be available on those various platforms. And we'll let people know on our Twitter account at Third Degree Net. And, and Buzz, don't worry, I'll help you. We'll, we'll get it figured yeah, out between the two of us. <laughs> I'm sure we can. Okay, so uh, all good news uh, aside, uh, Buzz, I will start off with this. Three nothing to the Wizards. Does that score flatter Kansas City, or is FC Dallas uh, with now two losses in a row in the form of a mini 2017 crash? Uh, A little bit of both. Um, It does flatter Kansas City in the sense that uh, if you look, if you dig down into some of the statistics, not crazy advanced statistics, but just sort of really just basic uh, statistics, Dallas had more of the ball than they're used to. They had a uh, a little less of a success passing, but Kansas City had significantly less of a success passing. The shots were pretty much equal, but Dallas had a lot more crosses. Dallas had a lot more uh, of a lot of things that made it look like, without checking the score, you would think Dallas might have won. But nonetheless, the score is what matters. And uh, they were on each of the three goals. They were, and even on the PK that Jesse ended up saving, each one had one, two, three, or four mental breakdowns happen from an FC Dallas perspective. So on that sense, it also is a little bit of a uh, look back at 2017 when mistakes were happening in games and Dallas wasn't getting over the hump against uh, teams that late in that season, it cost them in the end to miss out. Now Dallas has already clinched the course, so that's not a question this time, but it is still up on the air, whether they're going to get that number two spot or not. Dan, what was your big takeaway from uh, the three Oh defeat? <laughs> On Sunday night, um, actually, 
Something that Peter Vimy said to me after the game, he said he didn't think the SKC played better. They just worked harder. Uh, you know, as Buzz mentioned, there are a few mental lapses, players being caught flat-footed. Those individual errors made all the difference and really blew up the scoreline from what really was a close game. Is the fact... Oh, let's let's uh, establish if we have agreement here. Do we think Kansas City out-hustled and out-efforted uh, Perea's crew in the game? I don't think there's any question that that was the case. I, I don't think it was the case for every minute of all 90 minutes, but in a few moments, there was a little bit more desire in the box, a little more effort in the box from Kansas City than Dallas, and, and that was the difference. Those small three or four mistakes okay. or the small three or four minutes of sporting having just a little bit more was the difference. Okay, so then that leads me to this question. Is it troubling that a team that played Wednesday and then had to travel on the road again for two straight games comes into Dallas and is able to nab a 3-0 win? Is that, is that something that Dallas fans should be concerned about? Um, <clears throat> I think context is a, a big thing here. Uh, you know, SKC were fighting for their really to secure their, well, not only secure their playoff spot, but to really put themselves in the picture for the bye. They were four points behind FC Dallas coming into the week. They had two tough away games. You know, they had to bunker down and have that mentality. Whereas FC Dallas, it was, yay, we can clinch 60 points. Yay, we can clinch the bye. Yay, let's kind of blow the importance out of the water without actually really drilling down mentally. There's an, there, you know, there is a side note in this is that Kansas City is a team who, for maybe one of you know this off the top of your head, how many playoffs in a row have they had to enter the playoffs in a knockout game situation? They haven't hosted a game and they've been knocked out of the playoffs in that one game. I think it's what, like three or four it's years every, in a running? It's every year there's been a knockout round. So uh, they clearly were in a mental state of avoiding that at all possible uh, cost, right? Definitely. I think that's fair to say. And I think on top of that, even they have to look to their next game too. I mean, they finish uh, at home, of course, but they finish against LAFC, who arguably is one of the hottest teams in the league as well. So, you know, they knew that this game and the next game were both going to be extraordinarily difficult. So they knew they were going to bring it both times. If you're Dallas, you're like, ah, we got Colorado. You know what I mean? <laughs> so even if, even if consciously no one says that, that little bitty subconscious let off maybe, oh, we got Colorado. Maybe that's maybe that's enough. Uh, but I thought it was the most important game in club history. I think we I think you and I and other people on Twitter discussed that a little bit and realized that that's not not the case. But you know, it was a big game. I, I grant you that it was a big game, but I don't think it was uh I'm not going to be a person voting for most important game in team history. Well, clearly now uh, this weekend's game against Colorado is the most important game in club history. Uh, well, still in the playoffs. Excellent. It, it may mean an extra game, but it's not do or die. So, Dan, uh, next question. If uh, a fan is uh, more driven by glass half full, what – should they be looking towards as a, a, a bright silver shiny lining out of what's happened over the last few weeks uh, with the team? Well, they would be looking towards it's only Colorado. 
and hoping that gets them. But I mean, in terms of like the form of the team or, or, or something to give them hope that this isn't a, a, an ominous sign for how the playoffs are going to end, that, that there is something, I mean, is there something positive uh, to look forward to in terms of this team's ability to make a run towards winning MLS Cup this year? The playoffs are a lottery at the end of the day. FC Dallas are just as capable as any team. Uh, defensively, sound at the back and you build a championship team off a defense. Uh, definitely need to connect it in the final third of the field. Uh, maybe even in the very middle. But, you know, the the makings are there. Buzz, in your breakdown that got published and posted um, on the site today and at the Dallas Morning News, you uh, drove about as hard at Matt and Victor Uoa as I've ever seen you um, criticize them for their performances. Victor, in particular, uh, in both of these last two games. Uh, what, what do you think's going on there in terms of uh, uh, Vic's kind of uh, turn, downturn in form? Uh, that's a good question. I don't uh, specifically know. I mean, my guess is that just the way he had been playing over the latter half of the season was pretty good. You know, he had been putting in, he's a guy that, as I said in my piece, he's a guy that uh, plays above his skill level because of his heart and his work rate and his determination. And once he scored that goal against Orlando, maybe he just thought, you know what, this is really going really well for me. You know, I'm doing, I just had a great game against Orlando. Well, then he proceeded to have two bad games against DC and sporting, not just the, breakdowns on the goals of which he had breakdowns on I think uh two or three of the four goals that have scored in those two games but just overall his his passing has dropped off his movements dropped off now one of those games he didn't have Grezzo that probably was a big part of it and now maybe this was the second game against Sporting they definitely overloaded uh three players right through where he was on the field right at Hedges too you know I don't so it's possible that those things are just a confluence of events that have all happened at one time that makes it look like he's fallen off over the last two games. But I don't think there's any question that he hasn't fallen off over these last two games. Now, on a whole, I think the team has played fairly well in those two games. The D.C. game, they were even the whole way, just had one breakdown at the end. And Sporting, they played pretty well, except for just breakdowns. But as you know, in the playoffs, those breakdowns are how you lose games. So if they don't quit those breakdowns, they're not going to go anywhere. So, Buzz, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, how you know, the really the strength of this team is in its back four. Um, and, uh, you know, typically with Grezo and Uoa, uh, and then there's Jesse and Gull, that th- that's the defending end of this uh, team is typically the best part of what is powering uh, this team. Are we, do we feel like that is in good form despite giving up the four goals in two games? Um, that uh, uh, it can continue to find a good set of form going into the playoff? Or, or is that what Colorado's all about, finding out if, if it can get back to that? Well, we'll certainly find out against Colorado, but I, I am quite confident that it's going to be fine. Um, you know, these two games we're talking about, one of them, Grezzo, was missing. And you cannot underestimate or undersell the value of Carlos Grezzo in front of that defense. That's a significant part of that situation. It's a big part of... Maybe what's happened to Yuloa these last two games. I mean, Abel Aguilar played okay, but he's not Carlos Grezzo. Over the last half of the season, you can make a case that that guy might be your MVP of this team. So getting him back and getting Cannon back, that's a big piece. Ryan Hollingshead is a nice player, but Cannon's having one of the great 
rookie seasons. Well, it's not rookie, but it's closer rookie seasons we've ever seen for Dallas, going from never playing a minute to playing every single minute. And as as we talked about, Hedges in this particular game, other than those three little moments of hesitation, statistically he had a great game. He was he was a great player the whole time, except for these three little oops, I missed that guy. You know, so I don't I don't have any. Uh, worries that this defense is not going to be fine. I think it's going to be exactly what it's always been, particularly the whole back half of the season once Grezzo came back to his stellar top-level form. I think that was the key to the whole thing. So when we look towards the attack, and um, I think we can all agree it's been a bit stagnant of late. Uh, I think, Dan, you tweeted out a stat, uh, or somebody did, that the number of goals that this team has scored in the run of play for some time is, what, one or two? Uh, one since the beginning of July, I think. That's a pretty morbid number. And um, I wonder, you know, we've been, we've been, we've talked a lot about Maxi uh, Arudi in this kind of oddball off-striker nine-and-a-half position. Um, and I, I, I think we... I think the the running agreement is is that Dominic Baji just isn't fitting in with his team very well. Tesho cl- clearly can't play as a lone striker, uh, and Christian Coleman is done for the season. Would Dallas or would Oscar be better off putting Maxi back up top in the in the lone striker position and throwing somebody else beneath him, whether it be Pablo or Lamar or somebody, or, or even moving Mascara into the middle and then allowing uh, Lamar in the field. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm actually going to say that what they've been missing for maybe the last month or so, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, is <laughs> Roland Lamar. Since he's been hurt. Wait, hold on. No- hold on. Wait a second. I want everybody to let that soak in. The yeah. uh, the greatest detractor of Roland Lamar is now promoting his uh, reinsertion into the starting 11. I know. I can't believe it. You know, when you if you if you ISO him and watch him play, you will see a player consistently making poor decisions, consistently making the wrong run, and consistently not putting in the defensive effort at the right moment. But the guy gets results. He gets into the box somehow. He gets those goals. Now, most of them more at home than on the road somehow. But, you know, since he's been hurt and missing from the lineup, has coincided with a lot of these troubles a lot of these mishaps now if you can bring him back and maybe bring him back sort of in the middle or as you say put Santi in the middle maybe that lets you put Yeruti back up top I, I, I don't know I mean I, I like Yeruti more as an off striker but they don't play a 4-4-2 and so they don't have that middle guy so you don't you don't get the connection that you need with Maxi. so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm thinking maybe for the good of this season, I can't believe this. It might have to be Lamont. That might have to be the guy you're missing. Yeah, I think we should remind everybody that uh, despite missing as many games as he has uh, th- to this point of the season, he still remains this team's leading goal scorer with eight goals. And and I tweeted earlier today or yesterday that this team did not have a competent, consistent striker. And then I thought, or finisher of the ball. And then I realized, you know what? Actually, Roland Lamont is actually a pretty good finisher of the ball. He does a lot of other things terribly, but more times than not, if he's in and around or in the box and he's got an opportunity to shoot and hit it, 
he's the one guy on the team that I think will put the ball on frame more times than not. Do you agree, Dan? Definitely. Uh, I mean, trying to get Baji in the lineup, trying out Coleman before he got injured, you wanted two things. You wanted hold-up play, and you wanted a guy that gets in the box. And Lamar gets in the box and scores tap-ins. I mean, you can't ask much more than that. Look at it this way. He has eight goals, right, on 35 shots. Maxi has seven goals on 114. <laughs> so there's a, as much as we might disparage Lamar, and let's not forget Lamar has five assists. So, you know, yeah. it's not and, – and, and 14 of his 35 shots are on goal. So he's close to 50% on net. You know, that's, that's pretty good. Now, you know, as much as I tear my hair out watching the guy play – I, you know, to, it was it was just beaten into me today that as I was trying to figure out how do you fix the front, that oh my gosh, could it really be Lamar? I hate to do that to the guy, but that's where I am at this point about it. It is pretty amazing. So, Buzz, you 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 out of the three of us have spent more time in and around and near and talking with Oscar Perea by probably a factor of ten. Uh, you have an amazingly good and open relationship with him. And I know you haven't uh, had, but I do know that you haven't had an opportunity to talk to him since the game yesterday, uh, and you'll do that later this week during practice. But what do you think Oscar's real feeling is about this team's form as it heads into the playoffs? Because we talked about the fact that he clearly, by sticking with this lineup, has been trying to find consistency and not letting off the pedal and trying to keep up uh, momentum. Now that momentum is, is somewhat lost, what do you think his real feeling is about this team? Well, I think if you, uh, if none of us saw his post game answer, at least I didn't, if you read it, his first post game comment was a pretty raw comment. You could definitely, if you know the Oscar and the way he talks, you can read it and you can almost hear it in your head. And you can see that he's, he's just riffing on the emotions he's feeling in that answer. And I think oh, that I, answer, I was in the room. I was actually there. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. You heard it. So and Dan, weren't uh, you in there too? Uh, I was in the SKC locker room. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I so, heard it. He actually walked in, sat down with the stat sheet had his glasses on, which I don't know if I've ever seen Oscar with his glasses on before, um, and opened his statement saying uh, whatever the quote said about, you know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, a team that played very well in the first half and owned the game, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he was about as um, – uh, that's about as real as Oscar gets in that particular environment. Yeah, and I think that that is – I think that answer – is the answer for how he really feels. I think he feels his defense is pretty good. I think his he feels like his whole team he has a lot of faith and trust in his team to play the complete game the way he wants it played and to do the tactics that he wants. And then he talks about in that quote, if I remember correctly, he talks about they created the right chances, they created the opportunities, and they just didn't take them when they came. And so he knows that's the team he has. He has the team that does everything right, that he wants them to do except for this one little problem, which has been for like three years now, but this one little problem of being a clinically finishing team in front of goal. And we've been talking about that this season since the beginning of this season. That's been a problem the whole time. We had some spells where there were some goals coming from other places. We got some set piece goals coming. That's been nice. But overall, this inability to, to finish the opportunities when they were coming, those balls into the box, 
Same problem as it's been all year. Buzz, you and I uh, traded a text conversation earlier today where I asked you a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to repeat your answer here, and I'll, I'll look to uh, Dan's answer too, which was, is this team's um, almost literally across the board woeful finishing, is that a byproduct of poor roster construction, meaning the players themselves, or is that an, a coaching issue? For me, it's not coaching, it's roster construction. Because if you look at this roster, I don't see that many, if any, pure forwards. Excuse me. Christian Coleman is a pure forward. Uh, He is obviously out for the year, but he played the proper way a forward is supposed to play. And the team is better with him in it, except, of course, that he wasn't producing the goals and wasn't scoring. So other than him, Baji is almost a little bit of a winger kind of hybrid too, although he can play over the top, but everybody else on the team is a winger or a slasher. Maybe Jesus Ferreira is a real forward, but what is he 17? You can't count on that. So really uh, for me, it's roster construction. You don't have any real true ball hawking strikers on this team. Um, 100% agree with that. Um, if you look at the strikers and the history, uh, Maxi was never a lone striker. Coman was never a lone striker. Baji was never a lone striker. They were always the support guys, the hold-up guys, play in the pass, and if it comes back to you, great, feed off that. Uh, there isn't a Blas-type finisher. But but when you watch Santiago Mascara cut into his right foot and hit it into the stands, or Barrios bang it into the side netting or Grezo hit it to the moon or any of these particular players, while they're not strikers, just putting the ball on frame seems to plague this team game in and game out. And and that's the part that I wonder, is that just the, the quality of player that this team is limited with? Or is there something missing from the training and coaching that is not soaking in? I mean, Buzz, you go to practice all the time. I have to assume finishing is something that gets worked on day in and day out. Oh, yeah, every day. And some and at the beginning of the season when they were really having a problem with it, sometimes it was the whole day. You know, they, they knew it's a problem. They've known it's a problem. They do work on this. They do work on guys with shooting. They work on everybody with their finishing. Whether With Coleman, it was less uh, his pure shooting as much as it was in close finishing because he's a different kind of player. But, you know, it is something they work on consistently. And you are right. It does happen every single day, which is why, to me, it's not it's not a coaching question. I don't, you know, by the time you're in the middle of your career, 24 to 28 years old, which most of this team is at this point, you're not going to alter somebody's fundamental skill set. You can tweak it. You can improve it a little bit. You can change your focus a little bit. But players are who they are. The only one who's probably of those of that current group that's got a little time is Santi because he's just now, what, 21, 22. So he's a guy you can maybe still alter a little bit. But all the rest of them are going to be pretty ingrained in who they are. But are they finishing in practice? Uh, no, they're not any better at it in practice than they are in games. I mean, it's not like uh, – to share when he was here, who was the greatest practice finisher of all time. I mean, these guys are all just, you know, they, they are what they are. You know, they, what makes this team good is not it's finishing. And so these guys, you know, they, they're just the same in training as they are in the game. We certainly got um, evidence that what everybody from Colorado reported to us about Dominic Baji, um, 
was proven true in Sunday's game against Kansas City, which is, man, the one thing you don't want to do is give him a lot of time and a run-on goal because 99% of the time he's going to push that ball wider over the top. That that was a, that was terrible, that one-on-one he had. Um, when you see his highlights, he's definitely one of those guys he can come in from wide or have that shot on the very edge of the area that just finds its way in, but... Yeah, you, you won't find a highlight of him with a one-on-one. No, and I, I find it interesting that I am I think I'm correct in saying the two goals he has scored in Dallas in his limited time here um, have been essentially, one was the deflection off his chest, and I think the other, was it a header? at in the I think they're both inside the six, if I'm remembering correctly, and they're both one-touch kind of deflections, headers, or chest balls, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, even take back, to last week that uh, when he chest turned it and volleyed if you don't give him time to think his instincts are fantastic Yeah, uh, but some players have a mental block where you've got too much time to look at where the keeper's coming can you tuck it in the corner and by the time you've figured it out the ball's out of play so uh, last but not least is a most intriguing matchup that you know this time four months ago seemed like a no big deal game, but not only is it now a big deal game because uh, a win solidifies a second place finish. Am I correct in saying that? No, as long as they win, they end up in second, no matter the results of the KC LAFC game. Uh, I believe that's true. Let me give me just a second, and I'll look. Um, um it's kind of complicated because Seattle. It, yeah. Seattle yeah. can't catch Dallas, Dallas if Dallas gets three points. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, if, if, if FC Dallas wins this game, they'll be in second because that will put them on 60 and both Sporting's on 59 and LA's on 57. So the winner of that game will also get to 60 or 61. And even if you tied LA on 60, they have a nine-goal goal differential lead on Dallas. So you're not I – mean, you'd have to win by 10 against Colorado in order to pass them for number one. So if you win, you're number two. Now, if you lose – uh, all kinds of scenarios come in based on whatever else happens. You can finish as low as fifth. Right, and uh, people should know that Seattle and Portland, who are directly behind them, have relatively easy games themselves. I think Seattle is playing San Jose, and Portland yep. has Vancouver on the road, I believe. Portland is the harder of the two games, but they're both playing teams that are already out of, uh, automatically out of the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, it, you know, it, if you don't take care of your business in this game, then you're going to deserve whatever spot somebody else gives you. So Dallas faces the lowly Colorado Rapids, who, uh, Buzz, you and I can attest to the long 20-plus year history. If there's a team that is year in and year out, um, most surprisingly had this team's number, been its bugaboo, ruined it at the worst possible moment, oh. it is the Rapids. Yeah, it's incredible. The list of times that the Rapids have either knocked out FC Dallas or hurt their playoff standing or just flat out thugged them out of the MLS Cup uh, that they deserved, it's the Colorado Rapids. Yeah, I think people love to talk about the original uh, enemy in Kansas City or Chicago or Houston or L.A. Many times, so many fans, for reasons I can't explain, overlook just what a wonderful nemesis uh, the Rapids have been for Dallas. And then you throw in the Kellen Acosta factor. Yeah, when you, fa- when you face a guy who you just, you just traded, I mean, literally he asked to be traded, but 
you know, Callen's going to want to do well against his old team. He's going to want to show that he was a great player. Not that I think that anyone here felt he wasn't a great player, but you always want to show well against your old team. Dan, what do you think uh, Oscar's thinking leading up to this game, uh, especially with the emotions riding with the Kellen aspect of this? Uh, honestly, I think it's a tough game to prepare for. Um, you know, Colorado have played a variety of formations, and Kellen's played in a variety of positions. He's played he played left wing last week. He's played ten. He's played center mid. He's kind of played a false nine at times. You know. You know how good Kellen can be, but you don't know which Kellen you're preparing for. Because a, a determined Kellen that wants to get a result against his former team could be a formidable foe. Yeah, Kellen, uh, my, I have not seen Kellen play a ton for Colorado. I've watched him, I've watched enough games to witness him do both sides of the Kellen coin, which is, um, you know, run out attacking balls. Uh, do some amazing things in terms of box-to-box play and set-up attacks. And then I've also watched the thing that, that drove us so nuts here, which is, you know, in the defending half of the field, switch off and let guys run past him. Uh, I've seen him do that not just for Colorado, but I watched him do it for the U.S. Uh, last week as well. He's he's done okay for Colorado, and I would say out of the trade between Baji and Acosta, you know, the Rapids have probably gotten the better out of the deal so far, but it's not like he's been gangbusters for them so far. Uh, not far from it. I mean, uh, their biggest loss, in all honesty, was the fact that Baji would is still their leading scorer by four goals. Um, Kellen can't replace that. I mean, I'm not sure he would have been brought in for that, but it's midfield production that they didn't have. Uh, so Dallas uh, needs to go to Denver and uh, win that game. Uh, Buzz, do you think Oscar sticks with the same lineup, or do you think he pulls out the Roland Lamar card? Well, I think he'll stick with the same formation. Uh, but when you lose two games back to back, particularly when you lose three nothing, I think all bets are off in terms of the lineup. I think I think something's going to change. Now, I won't be able to speak about what that might be until later in the week. I think there's a good chance it might be Roland Lamar. I don't think it'll be Pablo Orangis because you're talking about a road game, big pressure, big MLS environment of tough conditions. Might be cold, you know. I I, uh, I think Lamar's a legit possibility. I think uh, Tasho Akindeli is a legit possibility. You know, if you want to try and change things up, but you don't want to change anything but the striker, how many strikers do you got left? So I, I think, you know, there's a chance you could see Tesho in there. Well, just for people who didn't hear the first episode uh, and missed that, why don't you, uh, Buzz, just spend a second explaining or answering what is easily the number one question we get, um, which is why in the hell isn't Oscar playing or starting Pablo Arangis at the number 10? Right. Well, um, part of that is the time he's been here. Uh, Part of that is his age. Part of that is learning how to play on the road in MLS. Like you, you when you've seen Arangis, it hasn't been on turf and it hasn't been on the road. It's been coming off the bench or starting in home games, particularly uh, starting a couple of times as a false wing. Now that's because uh, in this season, as a reaction to last season and to, as a reaction to only having Mauro Diaz, half the time he was available 
Dallas went out of their way and Oscar went out of their way to try and make this team one that could win without Diaz. They wanted to be able to get results without him so that when you had him, he was a bonus. Now, Arangis is, uh, on paper, Diaz's replacement, but Diaz is in the prime of his career at 27-28. Arangis is just starting his career at 21. So you can't just say, oh, stick him in for Diaz. It doesn't exactly work that way. Diaz took half a year or even a year to get used to MLS and get used to the game here. Very physical, very much a lot of running up and down, tough conditions. People hit hard here. you know. So it's a question of the team isn't built to use a pure number 10. Oscar has to be able to have complete faith that you're going to be in there and not shut down and not tune out and not make a mistake. And as a perfect example of that, the, the third goal against Kansas City – Started from a play at midfield when Arangis kind of just sort of jogged over towards the guy and didn't close him down. And they had free reign to play a nice leading pass into Johnny Russell. So I don't want to take shots at Arangis' defense because that's not the kind of player he is. But this team is not built to use a player like him right now. You don't have enough faith in him yet anyway. And this late in the season, you're not going to change everything you're doing just to get a pure number 10 in there. So if uh, Dallas goes to Colorado and grabs a solid 3-1, 2-0, or even one nothing win, but plays well in the process of doing that, is all well and we're feeling good and ready for uh, buying some airline tickets to Atlanta or uh, New Jersey? Uh, I w- I'm not going to go that far. I think everything is good in terms of this team being what it's been over the last half of the season, which is a pretty solid team that can grind out results. But this team is where I would thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. It's a team that's a work in progress. The defense has been shored up and made better this year. The offense still has a little ways to go, and they're still missing a nine. So the same flaws that have been there since the get-go are still there. Still a pretty good team. Should be able to beat some people in the playoffs, but I don't see a cup favorite by any means. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it'd be very premature to look at even the Western Conference Finals at that point. You've got a very good possibility that LA sneaks in uh, with the form they're in. You've got Seattle, who seem to always have uh, FC Dallas's number in the playoffs lately, uh, particularly in the away leg. I mean, the cons- uh, you know, the, the focus just has to be get some form going into the playoffs. And I should note, this was brought up to me by my uh, co-host of the kick around, Andy, on a text today that there is a better than uh, decent chance that if Dallas was to lose and has to play in the knockout game and gets to host the knockout game, that the the Lion, Zlatan, and the LA Galaxy could end up playing the knock-in game in, in Frisco on Halloween. Yeah, you'd end up with, uh, it'd be like a U.S. qualifier when they play uh, Mexico down in, in Southern California. It's like FC Dallas would be the away team in their home field. Uh, well, you know, well, luckily the club sold everybody's Zlatan jerseys last time he was here, so they'll all be ready for it, right? <laughs> I don't think that's a big deal, man. I've, I've been seeing teams sell other away jerseys since I was 12 years old going to Ranger games. I mean, that's not that's not new. If, you're gonna, if you can fleece money off of somebody else's fans, go for it. Sure, why not? 
I agree with you, Buzz. All right, Dan, I'm going to turn to you here for this next uh, segment because we're going to go a little bit off the field. I know that you and some other guys spent a, a lot of time up in Frisco at the stadium at the new Hall of Fame. Uh, you attended all the events. You asked a bunch of questions. You took some wonderful photos. Um, I, first off, I just kind of want your opinion uh, about specifically the Hall of Fame and the experience that uh, they've created over there. I, I It's incredible. Um uh, you know, I've been to the Barcelona Museum, the Liverpool Museum, and a few others, and honestly, I've not seen a better experience uh, at a soccer museum than the Hall of Fame. Um, the artifacts are just, some of them are incredible. Um, you know, game-worn jerseys from Johan Cruyff when he was at the, the Washington Diplomats, uh, Pele's Cosmos jersey, you've got uh, the ball that, Brandy Chastain scored the 99 World Cup winning penalty with. You've got the ball that Landon scored against Algeria with in the 2010 World Cup. Uh, then you've got all the interactive stuff. Um, Buzz posted the photos when he got the preview with the jersey. They create your own scarf thing, which, uh, you know, in support of culture, your scarf is, is a lot of an identity and to be able to have it individual to yourself and not something that was bulk ordered in like 150 pieces that's something that very few places can offer is there a particular artifact in the museum that's your favorite or was the most meaningful to you as somebody who's not from this country originally um it was very cool seeing the uh the u.s open cup medals through the ages uh, one thing that did st- uh, stick out to me and this is more the uh the who than the what there is the display case for the four uh, U.S. Soccer, uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame Medal of Honor recipients, Lamar Hunt being one of them. And uh, Lamar's wife, Norma, uh, was uh, spent a lot of time around that with, uh, with Clark and, and the family. Uh, it, you know, it, it, definitely, it clearly meant a great deal to them. One thing I saw up there that didn't get a lot of attention was that uh, they've gotten a hold of uh, Tony DeChico's uh, like game planning notebook from the World Cup when, as you mentioned, Brandy scored. And they've blown up pages of that that show his handwritten notes about the shape and who's going to play where and what their tactic assignments are and how they're going to break down the opponent. That was a really cool, like, you know, very personalized insider kind of stuff to see those blown up where you could read them and see some of the notes on the game plan. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was really well presented. All right. So Dan, what is, you know, with all of the hoopla, the, you know, easily the largest amount of fan interest and media attention, uh, that, uh, this organization has had since it opened Toyota stadium back in 2005. What's your big takeaway uh, from you know, 18 months of construction and discussion and 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 promises of what they were going to deliver. What what do you feel like's the big takeaway from all of this? Uh, it's it's nice to have it there. It's very flashy. It's not going to really affect attendances. Um, I know you've you've used the phrase the answer to the question that nobody asked. That that definitely uh, seems apt. Yeah, I, I think the the big takeaway for me is really more of a question. I, I I'm I don't know this. I've not and, and I've not asked because I don't suspect I'd get an answer. 
uh, based on the history of uh, questions and answers about marketing and so forth, is I, I wonder if all of this is the culmination of a lot of work that will now lead into a new attitude and execution on a plan for marketing to solve the attendance and market interest uh, issues that have plagued this team for so, so much time? Or is this just another example of, you know, the hunt business model of build it and certainly they will come? And, and, and that's the part that I don't think we know the answer to yet. I think uh, if it's the latter, they've actually missed a trick. Um, if, if you want to kind of sell people on Dallas as a soccer city, you've got the Dallas Tornado World Tour, which isn't really covered. There's the fact that the very first U.S. women's national team to play at a FIFA tournament were actually the Dallas Sting as a guest team, yep. and they won it. Yep. That isn't mentioned at all. You mean within the within the uh, museum? Yeah. Interesting. I think you sell that. You sell the sidekicks. You you sell the, you know, the success the burn had. Yeah, the, there was a there was an interesting there was an interesting moment um, at the pregame. You know, uh, before every game, they introduce a military uh, person and you know appreciate them and let the fans show appreciation. And I was standing next to Andy uh, when this happened. Uh, the uh, the woman that was being introduced was in the Navy as a reserve, but her full-time job, or at least something she does regularly, is she is a goalkeeper coach for Sting, which is the very uh, long, if you're not from this area, Sting is... Um, you know, the original, for lack of a better way of saying, uh, girls club team here in town. Tattoo is a coach for Sting. Uh, they are, uh, they've got a long history. And when they said that in the stadium for the first time, the amount of applause she got uh, for being identified as such really blew me away. And it, in my mind, it speaks to the one thing that, this club could really capitalize on is an opportunity to be more inclusive of the other club teams in this town, the Texans, Solar, Sting, Defeaters, all of them, and bring them into this experience. I don't know how, because I think that's a that's part of what's really missing uh, in this club's idea of how it wants to grow a fan base, is that it somehow feels like it's separated itself from the rest of the soccer community. Uh, and I, I think that's a real opportunity that they could figure out a way to capitalize on. Yeah, I would like to see some sort of, maybe not, maybe not a wing. Maybe it's like a side section or something on North Texas soccer history. Because as you say, this area is super rich on soccer history, going back way before MLS even existed. So there's a lot of stuff you could celebrate locally. Now, granted, if you're talking about the National Soccer Hall of Fame, that's not part of that. But if you're talking about FC Dallas and capitalizing on the Hall of Fame, some side room or some side set of exhibits to play up FC Dallas's place in amongst all this great local history, I think would be really well served. Definitely. Um, I mean, I was looking through the Dallas Morning News archive recently for something, and there were Dallas Morning News and Fort Worth Star-Telegram articles going back to 1930 talking about European teams coming over to Dallas to play soccer and, you know, big local cup finals in the late 1800s. There is a rich history here. Um, yeah, we've mentioned the Dallas Sting. That was the very first all-women's soccer club in this country, period. 
period. Um, and like you say, there is a bad relationship between FC Dallas and local teams, uh, mainly because FC Dallas poached the local talent. But to be fair to uh, the Hunts, that that is a bit of a two-way street, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, certainly uh, the Hunts and, and FC Dallas could do, be a... They probably have to take the driver's seat position by reaching out and... and creating those bridges, but that has to be uh, willing to be received on the other side uh, of the table, right? Oh, 100%. And, you know, in honesty, soccer all over the world, if you're a young, if you're a local youth club a professional, and you have a great player, a professional club is going to come in and take that player away. That's the reality, but that's also why the coaches do it. Well, when you get down to it, a lot of that's going to be have to be resolved with uh, solidarity payments. Until we get, this is a whole podcast, but until we get that straightened out, that's going to make it. Uh, that's going to make this local club relationship a little bit difficult. But you could, you could still reach out across North Texas, even if it was just uh, to get the uh, Texas Soccer Walk Walk of Fame involved. I mean, I talked to Clark about that prior to the season and they said that they wanted to bring that into the stadium and sort of get it involved in a way with the hall of fame. And that would be a great way to use that as the vehicle to celebrate all these other great soccer things in Dallas. And I think that would go a long way to uh, repairing bridges, not, not just with clubs, which is important, but even with the alumni of all these old teams that are now coaches at all these clubs, it's all, it all feeds together off of itself. Yeah, I, you know, it was a weird moment. Um, you know, typically when they're introducing the people during the military appreciation piece, they always list list off a whole set of accomplishments and this and that. And I just it struck me uh, and it caught my ear when they said Sting goalkeeper coach, and this applause broke out in the stadium. And it wasn't localized to a circle group. It was ev- you know there was a large percentage of the fans that really appreciated that. And I just found it to be a really interesting moment. I don't know if anybody else listening to the podcast uh, picked up on that. Um, uh, it just it's the one it's one of the many things that I think this team could really uh, go a long way on repairing and capitalizing on. Okay, so uh, the other kind of big news that came out this week that I thought was fascinating is that uh, Atlanta United finished off the season uh, averaging over 50,000 fans a game and over 900,000 people uh, in total numbers of attendance for the 2018 season. And to put that into perspective... Uh, FC Dallas ended up with 263,000 over the same amount of games uh, this year. A question that popped up into my mind, and I'll ask you guys this. this, uh, If uh, Dan and Clark Hunt said, hey, um, uh, there's a construction issue with Toyota Stadium, we can't use it, or we've just chosen to uh, play games uh, at AT AT&T Stadium, the Death Star in Arlington, and we're going to open it up to as big as possible. Uh, but we're going to play on a kind of an awkwardly sized pitch, uh, and it is going to be AstroTurf. Do you think the DFW market could do 50,000 people week in and week out? I think the DFW market can do 50,000 people. I don't know that it can do 50,000 people for a soccer game. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything soccer-wise except for Mexico you know, or those one-off the first time you get a Chelsea or the first time you get a Man U. I mean, that's – unless you have names that are going to draw that kind of attention, 
I, I don't know. It would take years to develop in this town. I think that kind of uh, level of excitement. You know, I, for me in Atlanta, that one of the interesting things about Atlanta is that soccer has become kind of a street culture there. They have this whole soccer in the streets thing happening. They have a whole urban uh, style and a whole urban culture that's invested into the team that's around that team. That thing has gone grassroots there in a way that no one has ever tried to do with soccer in Dallas. And I don't even know that if it would work that way in Dallas. It's just a completely different animal. Well, it certainly would work in Dallas because if they were to... Because that's not something... Uh, in my opinion, based on people that I know in Atlanta, all of those things in terms of soccer culture that you're talking about, that was created by Atlanta United. That's not like something that was in existence and uh, was just highlighted by the birth of the team. All of that so-called soccer culture that's in Atlanta, (laughs) that's all made out of whole cloth by Atlanta United through some super genius marketing uh, decisions and campaigns and obviously... Uh, spending of some dollars. I think the the issue with Dallas is if you turned everything on its head and started adopting Atlanta's practices, you're still going to have people say, I haven't cared for the last 22 years. Why should I care now? Yeah. Well, I didn't mean uh, for this podcast to turn into all of that. I, I really wanted just to focus on the Hall of Fame and the new structure, construction of the building. But I do, I do think it all ties into a larger set of questions and, and things to ponder as to what all of it means in terms of how the hunts will move forward in terms of getting 20,000 people uh, at Toyota Stadium 16 games a year at a minimum. Yeah, I don't think any of us on a one-hour podcast are going to be able to answer those questions. I mean, obviously... There's lots of things that could have been done over the last 20 years, and they weren't. You know, I, I, the bottom line is at some point they're going to have to spend some money uh, unless they just catch lightning in a bottle somehow, and the odds of that happening are slim. There has to be some sort of constructed plan, or uh, and and maybe it's going to be built around the Hall of Fame. I don't I don't think that that's going to get you 20,000 people every week, <laughs> you know, by itself. I mean, it's got to be part of the interest in the team has to be there. If it's no interest in the team, you're going to have the same crowd you have all the time. It's far, far too often now in this town, even after the Hall of Fame, when you talk about pro soccer, you talk about FC Dallas, people are surprised that that's a pro soccer team. Even people whose kids play for FC Dallas youth are sometimes surprised that FC Dallas is a professional soccer team. If you wear an FC Dallas jersey, people will ask you, oh, does your kid play for FC Dallas's youth team? Nine times out of ten. I don't think I've ever the, – the, the number of times someone has said to me, oh, gosh, I love FC Dallas. Love that – you know, watching Santiago Mascara play is minuscule compared to the number of times I've been wearing a piece of gear. And someone said to me, oh, does your son play for FC Dallas youth? Yeah, I, I think – first off, I feel bad that this was probably many people's first time listening to the podcast or this particular podcast, and since it's only its second edition, it would, it's probably almost everybody, um, that, that we run into the cliche of attendance talk about this team. But I do think it's important in terms of all of the work and time and energy spent in, into modifying the existing stadium, adding the Hall of Fame, and all of the noise – and hype that was built around this weekend and then the resulting butts and seats was you know hey I, I hate to say it 
but it was disappointing. I mean, there were, you know, they're just, you know, what was it? 80% full? Uh, I don't even know if it was 80%. I would have said it was more like uh, two thirds full. But, you know, it is the final home game of the season. So, you know, the season long numbers just came out. So it does lead us to talk about it. Sure, I know. I just it, it, it just seems like an easy uh, easy uh, wound to pick at or scab to pick at, but yeah. it, 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 it's related to this particular week because of the opening of the Hall of Fame and the event and the fact that it was announced as a sellout, yet we just didn't see anything close. I mean, they, certainly all the seats were sold and or given away or whatever. Technically, it was a sellout, but the attendance yeah. part of it, like butts in seats, uh, turned out to be, you know, disappointing. I was And, and I, it bothers me that a team is in first place fighting for playoff spot new building new everything and yet we get that kind of turnout that's uh that's a bit de- uh, defeating well let me give you a positive spin then if you're an fc dallas fan the hunts just invested what another 45 50 million dollars into that facility not all their money but a, a, a lot of it was their money they've just put a huge chunk of their money into what is essentially this team and its facility so if you if you're a fan of this team and you wanted to see this team go, do well good things, someone is putting their money on the line with this team. And so at least we can give them that amount of credit. Maybe it's not the way you or I would do it, but this is how they do it, and this is and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, Dan, you can uh, agree or disagree with me. I, I I don't take too much issue with how the Hunts choose to run this team in terms of the youth academy, the on field product even the facilities to that degree. Um, I, the thing that I constantly harp on is this, they're just not good at telling their story or making people want to come uh, play uh, or participate in their thing or come watch their stuff uh, for whatever reason. I just, I don't understand it. And I, I refer to it as the build it and they will come syndrome, but they just don't seem interested in doing what other teams do to kind of create that excitement and desire to come be a part of the game day experience. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not salespeople. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones will sell you on three million reasons why you should watch the Cowboys lose by 30 points. Uh, Mark Cuban will sell you on why the Mavs is a great experience, whether they win, lose, or the whole place catches fire or the fact um, that they had a running sellout record that was largely powered by them giving selling tickets at a discount or giving them away. Well, we call that Houston sellout. <laughs> um, but you know, the hunts have built the state, the hall of fame. And that's, that's great. If you're interested in the, you know, national soccer hall of fame and the U S based history. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you're, quote-unquote Euro snobs and your uh, Liga Mekis fans couldn't care less about that. So you have to sell them. You have to convert them. And that shall be for a future edition of Third Degree, the podcast. No doubt we'll get into that some other day. Um, All right. Successful run of episode number two. Uh, uh, Dan Crook, thank you for your time and bringing some credibility in your uh, British accent. Much obliged, gents. Good luck to Luton Town. I hope they uh, continue to do well in League Two. Well, we need it. <laughs> uh, we're in League One, actually. We got League One. Sorry, year. I didn't mean to relegate you into the the, the, the fourth tier. Uh, <laughs> you just alerted Ted Vestervelt. <laughs> and then uh, Buzz, 
good job, buddy. Uh, are we going to let people uh, shoot in letters and ask questions and stuff? Do we want to do that? Yeah, I think we'll do that. Before we take the next episode next week, I'll uh, now that we know we're going to be trying to do this, I will send out a notification in the afternoon and try and pile up, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15 good questions. Maybe we could, uh, or if we only get one or two, maybe it can be enough to kick off a conversation. All right. And uh, how, what best way for people to uh, send in those questions and comments and uh, criticisms? It'll be on uh, Twitter. Um, you can always email me. My email address is on the uh, blog, but you can always direct message us on Twitter or just hit us directly on Twitter with a tweet. Um, try and do it the day we're going to record the podcast. Try and wait for me to say, hey, we're going to record the podcast because then I can have the questions right there and put them all together at one time. If they trickle in at weird times, it may be harder for me to keep track of them all. Yeah, the Twitter account is at third degree net, the number three RD degree net. And then don't forget, you can also read uh, Dan and Buzz's uh, content. And on the very rare occasion I ever uh, get uh, the gumption to do it again, write stuff, you can find it at the Dallas Morning News Sports Day uh, dfw.com where we are a content partner and help them cover the sport of soccer all right guys thanks for your time hopefully when we talk again next week uh, we'll have a much better result and uh, fc dallas will be looking uh, to uh, a second place finish of the season uh, and a bye week that would be fantastic for the huntsman wouldn't it absolutely <laughs> that would be nice we certainly would like to week off that would be all right guys uh, dan buzz thank you very much thanks for listening and we will talk to you again next week on third degree the podcast.